Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 31. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from EngageWorship.org. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we'll be dissecting the classic song In Christ Alone, reviewing the middle month of the song cycle and discussing how to finish and share a song in the workshop, as well as responding to your tweets, posts and emails. Good afternoon, Sam. Happy birthday, Joel! Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, you actually have. What is it? I got you a present. You've actually literally... Oh, this is, I'm watching this on Skype. What's that drawing on the front of it? Well, don't tell them that. That's, oh. it's supposed to be, isn't it beautifully wrapped? Joel? It is beautifully wrapped in, in scrap paper. Let's have a look. Oh, man. It is Carol it's King, a, a Natural Woman. Is it a biography? It's or, an autobiography. Oh, how and brilliant. on the back, Keris Matthews says, if you've ever wanted to walk alongside a world-class musician as she writes, arranges, records, mixes, masters and tours... Here's your start point. Well worth the read. Oh, wow. Sam, there you go. thank you. That's pretty cool. I'll I, pop that in the post. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting a birthday present, but um, that's brilliant. That's, I think that's got to be the first time I've ever virtually unwrapped. I, actually, to be fair, Huck unwrapped most of my presents this morning. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's not really any different. Did the, you get anything else good? Apart I, from Carol King's autobiography. I got tickets to see Milton Jones. Ooh. In November, this is pretty fun. I do find Milton Jones very funny. He's just He's like great. A, a gag a minute, a pun a second mm. or something. Yeah, um, and and many other good things. Which obviously, if anyone in my family ever listened to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fat chance they'd know. Um, I did actually. There was a from um, yeah, Huck Huck got me those. I don't know how. I don't know where you get the money from, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's nice. So it's, I've been out for breakfast this morning. Having a nice little birthday, and I'm going to make pizza today. That's my favourite thing. Is well, pizza is pretty much my favourite thing in the world, and making it homemade, making the dough, and all the sorts of stuff is I quite enjoy. And we've been on a very sort of low carb thing, so it's a bit of a treat Ooh, tonight. Looking forward to that. How are you doing, Sam? How's cost. it been? What have you been up to? I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's been busy actually. We went on holiday, but you know what that's like. Like um, you sort of end up being busier around the holiday because yeah. you've been away for a week. So, um, but it's been really good. We relaunched our website. It's all looking new and shiny now. It is. I think it looks great. Really good. Good job. Who's your web Thank designer? You. Kieran Metcalf. Oh, that's you funny. Try he's him. the same as us. Oh, is that who you use? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's very good. Ascentcreative.co.uk. People should check him out. He's excellent. Yeah, very good. And um, yeah, and we launched the Thy Kingdom Come Family Creative Prayer Journal. Of course. Um, so if people are sort of building up to do that in may late may um they can check that out for for families so yeah if you're interested in the thy kingdom come uh season of prayer you can check that out and also uh we've got our book whole life worship coming out in the end of this month yeah and we've got a launch at licc which is apparently pretty much sold out now oh man i haven't um, bought a ticket joel it's a, come it's on because i haven't figured out whether i it was just it looked like it was the end of next month, and I thought oh, I can't work well, it that is. out. It's on the twenty eighth of March, right? And but get move on because it's selling out, right? Okay. Uh, but there's going to be kind of Saturdays throughout the day, uh, throughout the year as well, um, where we kind of do it kind of regionally. So um, I'll tell you more about that when we've decided the dates. But um, yeah, it's been busy, but it's been good. Cool. I got a question about your holiday. 
Yeah. Uh, it's not about which sun cream you use. But, uh, I mean, do you go away and just, in the, all the space, just spend hours writing songs? No, not this year. No. <laughs> and some sometimes I have, but this year was very much a kind of, we didn't take computers, we didn't take instruments, so... No, it was it was just a very lazy kind of family holiday. It was great. Cool. Well, I have uh, since we last met in this virtual environment, uh, I interviewed Aaron Keys. Did you did you listen to that oh, one? That was so good. And I put it on in the background while I was trying to write something, and I ended up having to turn it off because it was so good that I was getting completely distracted by it. And I also kept putting little bits on Facebook, like he said something about you know we 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 make great albums and we make click tracks and we make loops and we make you know all this but we don't make disciples and i was like yeah. oh my goodness this is challenging that was good wasn't it and are we, he said something like are we going to be uh new testament i can't even remember what it was or are we going to be youtube celebrities exactly yeah yeah is really, it, we, we're really making it sound stuff. like he just did a series of sound bites aren't we <laughs> no but he was great i loved it because he, he talked really well about as it got further in he talked really well about the, the craft of songwriting and and developing our songwriting chops but the earlier bit which was just about basically developing worship leaders as disciples and yeah. i thought that was hugely challenging and, and really relevant yeah i thought challenging to us in terms of the work we're doing with resound um thinking about i mean th- this is good that we're doing stuff like the podcast and uh, workshops and things but how are it, are we intentionally discipling people should we be taking people on in a in a more committed way looking out for people who are going to be the next generation because whether we like to admit it or not sam we are uh we are not the next generation anymore (laughs) as you hit your 31st birthday today 31st thank you very much yeah (laughs) um i also listened i think you've mentioned this before sam but for the first time i listened to the soda jerker is that Mm. how you pronounce it i don't know uh podcast which is soda jerker on pod on songwriting and they have an illustrious list of um, interviewees. It's fascinating yeah. listening for the first time because they're sort of they're not the the two most compelling um, broadcasters, <laughs> but they have managed to get these brilliant people on to talk about yeah, their songwriting. They really do. And I really enjoyed uh, the. T- I've listened to Nick Kershaw, who ah. um, I think Nick Kershaw wrote one of the best pop songs ever. I know not everybody agrees with me on this, but I think um, Chesley Hawks, the one and only. Is a brilliant pop song um, is that with hooks. Nick yeah, yeah, it's got hooks. It's got key changes. It's got oh, it's just full of. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, and it's fascinating. It was fascinating from the point of view that actually, the more you listen to him, the more you thought he. I'm not sure he really knows how he does it, or yeah. if he does know how he does it, he just doesn't really have the words to articulate it. Yeah. Um, except one great little tip I picked up was he said in terms of. Um, doing a key change into a chorus or something which he'd done quite a lot in his writing actually if you look through the stuff even things like won't let the sun go down on me which is a really kind of catchy melody the verses are all full of kind of political stuff in modal mm. keys and um is is he said the thing about if you're going to make a transition between uh, keys find a note which is common to the to the transition and use that to bridge it so uh. if you're going to go say from a c major and then you're going to go into e flat make sure you're yeah. singing a g at that point Right, I yeah. thought it was a really helpful tip. So it um, doesn't sound so clunky. Yeah. So anyway, this is part of my commitment to learn a bit about songwriting. Um, yeah, yeah. And my other thing, um, just to tell you, is I had a fun experience at church yesterday morning. I was leading worship with uh, Rhiannon. We've sort of, <clears throat> my wife Rhiannon, we've decided to 
trying to worship together once a month. We haven't done a lot together since Hug was born. And so there we were, and we were doing the last song, and, and I had problems with the, I think there was a problem with the cable on the guitar, and it kept cutting in and out. It's just me on guitar, and on piano. And we started doing it, it was the Ren Collective, Build Your Kingdom Here, and I was playing, ding, 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 playing away on my guitar. And then the guitar cut out completely, and I don't know what had happened, but Rhiannon thought I'd started in a different key, so she tried to join in and play along on the piano, and then just gave up. So she wasn't playing, and then my guitar wasn't coming out, and I stood there, and I thought, what am I going to do? And then I tried to shout, keep singing! And I ran, I put the guitar down, I ran across the piano and started pounding out the chords and carried on the song. So I've never done that before, but um, I I don't know if I got away with it. You got got to the end, did you? Yeah, we got to the end. It's one of those things where I thought, either I stopped this song or I'm literally going to have to go on another instrument because there's no music coming out for anyone to sing along to and this is not going to go well. It's not like a hymn where you can just go, oh, let's sing the whole thing a cappella. I think it depends on a certain energy. So then I was playing this kind of rootin' tootin' um, uh, bluegrass feel piano stuff. um, Anyway, Yeah, good fun. There you go. There's a bit of a catch-up for us. Let's move on to some correspondence. Let us start with this fantastic email from John Stammers following last uh, month's podcast. He says, thank you for the podcast, which I really enjoy. So top marks to John. But just a nitpick, he's lost marks, as I think (laughs) you were quite wrong in your critique of Splendour of a King. To describe the lion and the lamb line is not specifically a biblical phrase and being a bit random. He's got quote marks all over. Out of nowhere or separate images. It's straight from one of the absolute key moments in Revelation, chapter 5, 5 to 6, where Jesus was revealed. There John's told to look and see the lion of the tribe of Judah, but when he looks, what he actually sees is a lamb. As such, this paradox of Jesus as both conquering king and slain sacrifice, omnipotent and yet self-sacrificing, is straight from scripture and fits together with the paradox of the Godhead tree of one of the previous line very nicely. So I feel at this point we absolutely have to come clean, or I certainly do, of saying you have uh, you have completely called us there, John. You are completely right. Uh, yes. That is a perfectly <laughs> biblical image, and we displayed uh, complete Bible knowledge faux pas in the last episode. Would you agree, Sam? Well, no, because what we were actually doing was we were pre- presenting alternative facts. <laughs> and uh, I think that John is just fake news and uh, he needs to just, uh, yeah. you know, get out of my house. No, no, no. Of I course. Think you want biblical knowledge? Wrong. There's nobody who has biblical knowledge like I do. Quote, <laughs> a certain political leader of the world. It's going to um, be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're doing it. John, you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, we feel ashamed and... Uh, uh, yes, you're right. So th- there we are. This is perfectly good. And it explains why so many people put it in songs. And it's one of those things you read it and think, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, so we can only hold our is. hands up. However, um, John, John uh, Sam, would you... See, I I think that uh, John is absolutely right about that, that being a biblical image. I, I think still the critique of kind of forming a slightly unrelated list at the end of what's been quite a coherent... Um, set of verses probably still yes. stands. What do you think? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, the God in three and one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb. I think I am right in saying that the Lion and the Lamb is referring to Jesus. Yeah. So it's still something that is kind of in my mind jumping out. John is completely right that it is a biblical image, but it is still a little bit dropped in in a section which is essentially about the Trinity. Yeah. Um, but yes, I probably can't still take any moral high ground. Well, 
yeah, I mean, what do we know? <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on. So, if anybody else wants to email us about our biblical knowledge faux yeah. pas, to be um, honest, Joel, I think yeah. we got to thirty episodes before somebody actually emailed in and said what you're saying is complete r- biblical rubbish. That's, I think we did all right, really. It's not bad. Is that something like a ninety-seven percent biblical knowledge? pass on the um, <laughs> maybe just say less about it let's move on we had another email from keith uh pickering who um says um in podcast 29 you advertise the hymn writers day and i've been wondering whether to come and join him and part of my wondering has led me down the road of asking what is the difference between a hymn and a song some of the writings on the internet which seek to differentiate between hymns and songs have been quite harsh about songwriting and writers, suggesting that all songs are less scriptural and less God-focused than hymns and of lesser musical value. The only way I can put it is high art, brackets hymns, compared to terrible popular culture, brackets songs. Someone who comes from both a choral and orchestral background, I find what is being implied is at best a little small-minded, as it does not seek particularly to reach people who have little to no experience of faith or traditional slash classical music. Um... So, uh, Sam, in a, in a nutshell, do you want to have a go at what the difference between a song and a hymn is? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I just want to agree with him that I think when you set up songs and hymns and say, you know, people do it on both sides, don't they? They say one one is great and the other is rubbish. And I think um, both of those are, um, you know, on, when you're on either side, that's unfair. And songs and hymns essentially do slightly different things, I think. Um, I would... I mean, one of the things Martin Leckerbush, um, hymn writer, has said to me in the past is that really hymns are a subset of songs. So mm-hmm. songs are the big overall category and a hymn is a type of song. And I would say the things that would st- jump out to me about a hymn is it's metrical, meaning it has exactly the same number of syllables in you know corresponding lines per, yeah. per verse, uh, which also means if you've got the same meter, um, you can use it you know, whatever tune you choose that has that meter so that the, the tunes are um, inter, interchangeable. Yeah. Um, I also think that hymns tend to go on more of a journey than a song. So they tend to unpack something verse by verse. Um, hymns tend to be more formal language. I guess maybe that's just because of the sort of connection with tradition. Um, but they, they tend to be a more formal way of writing Um and, and generally, you know, the, so the opposite is true for what you would perhaps describe as a worship song, which tends to be more informal, doesn't have the same kind of metrical thing, tends to be directly linked with one tune. So you don't sing The Splendour of the King to a different tune, typically. Um, and yeah, this, this sense of, um, I mean, really, a lot of worship songs are taking the pop song genre, aren't they? Yeah. And writing songs in that in that genre. Um, and so I think... I think they're 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 both valid. They're doing different things. My view is, you know, I led worship yesterday in church, and I included two older hymns. Uh, lady came up to me after the service and thanked me for including an older hymn. And but to be honest, I didn't. You know, I do it because I think both have value. Yeah. Um, more than oh, I'm doing this. You've not because got a quota of, system of must. Have no, X no, not at all. Hymns. Yeah. No, but another way someone has put it to me, and we've talked before on the podcast about like revelation and response, and typically I think a hymn will have more of kind of revelation, information, might be more about God. Yeah. Often a a song or a chorus will be more uh, sort of to God or responding to God. That's not a hard and fast rule, but I do tend to think, you know, do I at this point in this worship service, do I want people to be hearing something about God 
or do I want them to be responding? And so again, that's a, that's a good reason to kind of value both. Yeah, that's pretty helpful. I, the only um, other things I guess I might add to that are the no, I don't. Know. I mean, what else can I? I mean, no. One, one thing. Uh, the other thing you add, you can add is that the harmony in traditional hymns usually tra- changes every syllable. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't normally happen in songs. Um, not say it can't do, but that's a kind of a standard thing. And that then leads you into the sort of um, those crossover things. We talk about people like the the Gettys and Stuart Townend doing a kind of crossover. Mm. And, and part of that is because they're writing a hymn form, which is metrical, um, but musically it it bears more relation to folk tunes yeah. um, and to pop tunes, specifically yeah. because the harmony doesn't change with every syllable. So yeah. it's a much slower moving harm, harmonic um, change, but they, but they actually have the shape and the form um of a hymn um but i think yeah. it's it's a fair question because in in our in posing the question you you're sort of recognizing there's some kind of false dichotomy in there in that then they're not unrelated and it's not always clear where the division no. lies but by and large we have a kind of idea um of what i think are. the other thing is so many hymns have a different uh, words writer to tunes writer because of this thing of being metrical. Yeah. So somebody who's a, a poet or a theologian maybe can or um, can write the words, maybe using an existing tune, and then a, a music composer would compose the music. And and actually, it's much more of a modern thing to have people do both at the same time. Um, so that's maybe another helpful distinction. Yeah. I think it's also worth remembering that the hymn as we know it is really only goes back to kind of the Reformation. You know, before that churches were mostly singing either psalms or you know canticles which are other bible um, there's not mm. many hymns from before the reformation times and and so actually you know some people might say oh well i like the traditional hymns well yeah. that is actually a tradition that only goes back a few hundred years yeah um so you know and 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 maybe actually the shorter songs are more like you know the perhaps the early church would have would have sh- sung some some shorter songs uh, that we obviously don't have any record of, but um, yeah, the, the idea that the hymn is um, is the only way that the, the church can sing, I think, is a little bit kind of short-sighted. When people criticise songs and and talk about the kind of the lyrical content of hymns being rich, often often I think it's true. It's fair to say that very often the hymn is supposed to stand on its own, and and in the most recent um, contemporary worship tradition, songs aren't so much designed to stand on their own. Yeah. They're, they're designed to be part of several songs that you'd sing all in a row or certainly part of a, mm. a service. So they don't necessarily have to do the same thing, do they? Um, yeah. There you go. Um, but but in answer to the question, uh, initially, uh, I think well worth going. If you're, if you're somebody who writes songs and you have an interest in um, crafting lyrics, melody, harmony and so on, you learn a lot from a, a hymn writing workshop um, yeah. in the same way that some of the people who come on our songwriting retreats or other things actually tend to work in more of a hymn form. Um, but I think also, you know, gain a lot and, re- and realise that songwriters um, have got some good input to, yeah. to give to that yeah. as well. The last email we've had this month is from Rupert Packard. Rupert got in touch um, to say, um, now Rupert came on our, our songwriting retreat last year, got in touch to say he's written an essay um, as part of a songwriting course that he's doing master's course that he's doing um about in christ alone and he basically analyzed um in christ alone for his um for his master's course 
uh, and and I read the essay. It's good stuff. Um, the perhaps the most exciting part of it, Sam, is that we are now cited. Our podcast is now no cited way. in an academic essay <laughs> several times. Where is academia going? I oh, know gosh. we're there. It pain. Uh, April 2000. <laughs> uh, it has to be said, though, once I looked carefully at the references, and there's four or five of them in there, they are all to interviews we did with other people. <laughs> so I, I don't think I don't think it's our wisdom which is which is being conveyed there at all. But that's really Probably nice. Best. So, um, Rupert, thank you for um, thank you for drawing on what we do, and thank you for sending it in. And so, what I thought was, well, uh, it's about time we analysed in Christ alone as a classic song. So why not get Rupert on the show? and um, ask him a few questions based on his analysis. So um, a couple of days ago, um, I got on Skype to Rupert, and here's what he had to say. Dissect a classic. So I'm delighted to be joined by Rupert Packard for this extra special Dissect a Classic. Welcome, Rupert. Hello. Uh, thanks, firstly, for sending us um, sending an email, um, sending us your essay, uh, for citing us in your bibliography. Oh, gosh, I've never felt so important. Although I think you were really <laughs> sort of citing the, the interviews that we did. Um, and also for giving us that reference to, to Daniel Thornton, who we've now lined up an interview with and we're going to talk to in uh, June. Uh, so that's, that's great. Um, Rupert, just tell us first up a little bit about the course that you're doing. You're doing a songwriting course, aren't you? I say I am. I'm actually doing a master's in songwriting, which sounds very posh. Sounds very and, posh, yeah. And it's um, via Basbar University, and it's really good, so I'm giving them a little, little plug. Um, I'm doing it as a distance learner. Okay. And it's a, part, it's a part-time two-year course, although you can do it full-time for one year. Do you have uh, so you, do you have to go in there at all, or do you just? Technically, no, you don't have to at all. It's all it's all done online. Although they do organise residentials for a week, yeah, which are actually really good because it's just nice to sort of actually see people in the flesh. Yeah, I should think so. And you're based in uh, Northwood, is that right? I Man- certainly am. Yes. Yeah, Manuel Church. Yes. Which I think is this right? Now, was it Michael Bourne or Richard Buse or someone who was a one one of our sort of Jubilate forefathers was a was a vicar there at one point. Uh, Richard, yeah, Richard, a while ago. Yeah, um, um, it was Richard Buse before uh, he went to All Souls. I see. There you go. Well, it's great. It's a great connection. Um, and what kind of things do you do on this um, Masters in Songwriting? Very posh sounding course. Is is posh? Okay, basically, it's split into six modules. Um, the first module is basically songwriting skills, where you literally have to write six songs for your assignment. Oh, okay. The second. The second one is context and methodology, which is basically you choose a context within the songwriting world and write seven and a half thousand words on it. And it's more about kind of like the industry within it, that kind of stuff. And then you've got history of song course where you have to cite either anything up to six songs and basically analyze them. Mm. I chose one, as we'll find out. Um, And um, then there's a collaboration module where you have to write songs either with other people or you can take someone else's texts and write a song to it or you can even work with the producer and then you've got the double module um, which is the final project which is where you make an album wow gosh that sounds pretty that sounds not quite like i imagine a master's course will be it sounds pretty cool it is it's good <laughs> so let's talk about in christ alone because that's what you did uh, you analyzed for that particular module um, three thousand words of it yeah yeah three, and, <laughs> and um you've uh, you know, you listen to the podcast, you know the kind of things we do. So let's just jump in and we'd love to hear just some of your analysis on what makes that a classic. I mean, I think it's sort of number one in the CCLI charts in pretty much every country or something, isn't it? So it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a pretty big, it's yeah. pretty big. 
and you know it's it's kind of hung it's hung around and, it's, and I can see it hanging around. Yeah. Well, go on. Give us give us some ideas then. What is it makes it so strong? Okay, as, as he's, I'm just sort of thumbing through it at the moment. Actually, um, basically, the subject matter is unique. It gives a really kind of wide narrative of the gospel, which a lot of songs kind of focus on one specific thing. Mm. Um, but the key thing about it is, it, it, as well as listing things, it kind of creates a sort of story-like situation as well. So you know, a lot there's a lot in there. It's also very theologically specific on certain issues, which, mm. um, as I found out, caused a bit of a rumble yeah. um, <laughs> along the way. But I think that's almost like what gives it its authenticity, and I think probably what people like about it. Mm. Um, I think. Sorry, I'm just sort of like rushing through this. The fact it's that right. it's in the fact that it's in what's known as strophic form, which is basically the form of hymns and folk songs. In other words, it just has a verse. And doesn't have a chorus or anything else. So that's what strophic means. That means just that's, to well, work in verses. Yeah. It's just in verses, which is really helpful because it means that there's only one section of music that people have to learn. Yeah. So it means they can really get into it. Yeah. And obviously, people have got into it. Yeah, that's true. Um, the other thing that's quite nifty about it is its range. It's quite it, melodically speaking. It goes outside the magic um, octave range that was talked about in. Um, the interview with Ruth Goddard. Yeah. But it's very clever how they do it because they start, most of the song is within that range. So the times when it either goes quite high or quite low is actually okay because the, vo- the voice is kind of warmed up for it. So it's just something to think about when you're writing melodies. Okay, so it sort of, it sits in a comfortable place, but can most, go on, it can go on a little brief foray out of it. Yeah, so another sort of example of that would be something like 10,000 Reasons that oh, does that. Okay, yeah. This is pretty much the... Where, where does it do that? It's, it's like the opening uh, phrase, on the, is it? The, yeah, it's pretty much the on the oh my soul, that bit. Yeah. That's, so it briefly kind of like takes you somewhere slightly outside the outside the kind of brief, you know, the melodic kind of range brief, so to speak. But yeah. it kind of gets away with it because most of it's in a nice, comfortable range. Oh, cool. I was struck reading your thing about um, the fact that, that that you said it's basically all written in the pentatonic scale except one note. Except, that's yes, you're absolutely right. There's just one note, and it's it's just it's a brief quaver. Yeah, just for listeners, if, if they're not sure, just in terms of what a pentatonic scale is, or why that might be a particularly good thing in a in that pentatonic, pentatonic scale is a scale that's literally five notes. Yeah, and so basically, again, it just kind of adds to making it more making it easier to learn. Is that yeah. there's only five notes? So if you got, but then if there's kind of like a slight brief foray out of it, it kind of adds to the creativity of it as well. It does, and doesn't a lot it? Of, yeah. And a lot of, I suppose, a lot of probably pop songs are like that as well, actually. If you analyse them, they kind of use few notes, but they kind of use them cleverly. That's interesting. So we've already mentioned uh, Bless the Lord, O My Soul, and I think that's pretty much pentatonic. Um, yeah, not Bless the Lord, O My Soul. What's it called? 10,000 Reasons. 10,000 Reasons. Oh, is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's pretty much pentatonic. Um, I think in your essay you compared it to Amazing Grace, which is which sits around those notes as well. There's something, does, yes. something about those notes, those intervals, that it is it's sort of attached to folk music quite often, I think, isn't there? Yes. Or... Um, a lot of, I mean, when I was looking at it, I mean, obviously, because Keith Getty's Irish and he's obviously influenced by, you know, his Irish kind of roots. And so some sort of like this, this Irish vocal music, um, uses the pentatonic scale, and there's something sort of quite, you know, when when it when it's used creatively, you can almost just a melody on its own 
yeah. without anything else, when it's stripped down just to the melody, has a real, you know, has a real impact. It's actually singable, isn't it? There's, there's something Sing, yeah. to hold on to. Yeah. Um, so that, let's just so that little note is in the um, uh, the kind. Of, I'm going to turn my pen up so I can get a key. Um, I'm just going to have a look uh, to see. Where it is. That still pen to it. It's that note, isn't it? It's that little sneaky semitone drop. And it is lovely because there's a little moment there where it just that is the that is almost the musical highlight of the whole thing, isn't it? That that moment. It's the climax. It's the climactic octave leap. Yeah. Hey, that's really cool. Is there anything else we haven't covered then in terms of what you think gives it? Yeah, That's I mean, true. one thing I talked a bit about was something in the, in the songwriting where it's a phrase called known as mode of address. Okay. Mode of address is basically what what pronoun you use. So, in other words, a lot of worship songs, there's a bit, it's a real debating point at the moment, whether you use I, you, we, all that kind of stuff. And the key thing about this is that it's what's known as in the narrative mode. And so, in other words, instead of Christ being referred to as you, he's referred to in the third person. Yep. As Christ. But what's really interesting is that the way it's written is there's also personal confessions of faith. So you're kind of singing corporately to each other, affirming to each other your faith. Yeah. But you're having the chance through these kind of like sort of Christian doctrines to actually affirm your faith personally as well. So it kind of like is almost taking two groups of people with two preferences and bringing them together. Hey, that's clever. So, in Christ alone, my hope is found. That's a personal confession of faith. Exactly. There, there in the ground, his body lay. That's the narrative Ex- mode. Exactly, exactly. And then, sort of right at the end, here in the, you know, it's here in the, you know, and, and that's another thing. Is it's the poetic device that he uses as well. Is that you know the repetition here in the here in the each verse ends with here in the and a different element of what we of Christ we stand with. Yeah, so, and, so. and it, but it, and it's kind of. It lands in the familiar, doesn't it? Because it lands back in a melody that you knew, and it yes, lands exactly. in a phrase that it repeats each time. Yep. So, so every time the the end of the verse takes you back to somewhere really solid and comfortable and familiar. Yes, and it gives you the chance to also sort of express your own personal confession, whilst no. so yeah, repeating you know what are kind of corporate understandings of the faith as well. Cool. How so yeah, I'm interested as well, you know, in terms of analysing this for what is, you know, is essentially, it's not a Christian course, it's a secular no. songwriting course, how, how that, how you sort of applied yourself to analysing it academically, whether you had to temper some of your analyses or actually, in a sense, it's just the same analysis, whether you're looking at a worship song or a pop song or whatever. It's, I mean, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, in terms of the music, it's... It is, you know, if we just, you know, put the lyrics to one side for a minute, if it's you're analysing the music, there are sort of, you know, it's like analysing any other song, really. But I suppose what the, the key thing is, is you're analysing not just the song itself, but also the context around it. So in this particular case, you're analysing it in the context of the fact that this is sung by congregations. Yeah. And that has very particular, you know, musical musical aspects that go with that that need to be thought about. And then in terms of the lyrics, um, <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting during the tutorials because I'd accidentally sort of say things that might be a, a sort of like from a personal point of view. Yeah. So I have to kind of really go through that kind of in quite a fine-tuned way as though I'm, as I'm almost like detaching myself from the situation. Yeah. And so I could be writing, you know, I could be writing it. I have to almost like pretend I'm analysing 
Buddhism or something like that. Right, or okay. analyzing, you analyzing have to try them. and sound like the voice of an outsider looking, yeah, looking on. Yeah, yeah, cool. So the other thing we always do when we analyze uh, songs is we say, "What might I have?" You know, if, if Stuart and Keith had brought this to you, is oh. there anything <laughs> where you'd say, "Do you know what? I think you could just improve that a little bit." Do you, do you have anything like that? I, do, I feel I feel slightly nervous, um, <laughs> sort of like approach, approaching. Um, you know. This is good. Such such song as someone who's very quite new to writing worship songs yeah. and stuff, and sort of just starting to kind of dip my toe in this. But I'm going to say, as a point of interest, one thing that sort of came up is the reference or lack of reference to the other members of the Trinity okay. within um, worship songs. It's just quite interesting that yeah. sort of Christ seems to get the kind of lion's share of the reference whilst God and the Holy Spirit kind of maybe not so much. And I'm just trying to think about, not necessarily yeah. as an improvement, trying to think about as we're writing our songs to sort of maybe bring the other two in a little bit more. I suppose that because in Christ alone, I mean, obviously it's very much focused on Christ. So in that respect, it makes sense. That it's focused, yeah. But because it, it covers such a broad sweep of salvation history and all sorts, yeah. in that respect, you might think sort of be good to have some acknowledgement of the Father and the Holy Spirit in amongst that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't not it doesn't leave it out completely. Yeah, it just yeah, it's it's just one one thing. And then I suppose another thing just to think about is sort of like just what vocabulary. Yep. We use, and it's just you know I know that there's sort of again like quite a lot of stuff on this, and just in the same way that when Jesus sort of like told parables he used cultural references of the day. Funny enough, the, the parables are so classic, those cultural references still make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but just trying to, yeah, just trying to sort of just as a general thing to sort of think about, sort of how do we manage to kind of balance scripture and the phrases that scripture uses with words that kind of have, you know, or references that have kind of relevance for us today. Yeah. Or pictures or images Brilliant. Uh, Rupert, thanks so much for joining us. It was really helpful well, to hear your insight and thanks for getting in touch. Thank you very much. Song cycle, song cycle, everybody do the song cycle. Not that song. It's the end of month two in the song cycle. In month two of our three-month songwriting journey, uh, we were taking our inspiration, the first ideas from month one, and really trying to develop into complete songs during this month. And the idea was to research, which is just to say, now I know what my song is all about. I'm going to go and just gather more resources. I'm going to look into stuff, try and expand my vocabulary and understanding and so on. Um, to write... And Sam talked quite a bit last time about just different ways that you develop your initial ideas, lines and things, make progress through the song. And feedback, which is to share it with other people, songwriters, your husband, wife, whoever, and just get bounce it off, see how it's going, get some a bit of input from other people so that you can you get another perspective on your song. So we've been doing that in this month. Um, and so have a bunch of you uh, as you've worked through the song cycle. I think there was Sam, there was one um that, that got posted on the forum that you picked out that you just thought um you had one or two thoughts about. Yeah, so Andy uh, said this is the first time he's posted on one of our um forums before and he gives us a bit of background to himself uh he's been kind of um 
working with somebody who writes poems, put them to music, and they've been doing kind of performance stuff, playing in pubs and festivals. And then he's uh, started getting into the idea of writing for his church, and he's had some really good support from his pastor, which sounds great. Um, and the people in his church have been encouraging him. And he even says uh, he's been very encouraged by the podcast. So cool. that's, you know, obviously why I'm reading this out. Mm. <laughs> um, but no, he... Um, so he's written this song, uh, and it's called The King Who Saves. And it really focuses on Jesus... Um, the sort of the human and he t talks about he heals the sick and troubled minds, brings life where death was found, touches the untouchable. So it's really kind of focused around the, the human life of Jesus. Uh, and then uh, it kind of starts to apply that to us. So when life is hard and pain abounds, we know that we can you know follow Jesus as well. Um, so I really like that. Um, the comment that I made to him on the forum, and I thought I'd just unpack a little bit, is that um, he's got this background of playing kind of folky songs in, in pubs and, and uh, festivals and things. Yeah. And I think he's bringing that kind of sense of melody to the song, which is really nice. But I think for a congregation, it's going to be difficult. So let me just give you an example. He heals the sick and troubled minds, brings life where death is found. So it's got that kind of... Um, it's quite syncopated it's quite a lot of gaps mm. uh, it's kind of letting the life where death is found kind of letting it kind of drop off at the end now that's nice for a performer but I think a congregation might struggle with that so um, I was sort of suggesting to him that he thinks about straightening it out a bit now the most straight way that you could do that would be something like he heals the sick and troubled minds bring life where death was found mm. which is quite hymny isn't it is mm. what you were talking about you know like very sort of straight melody yeah but quite boring doesn't really relate to how anyone would say it in real life yeah. doesn't really have any shape so then it's a, it's a challenge of whether you're going to be on the beat or whether you're going to be slightly off the beat whether you're going to push it syncopate it um and so you might want to try if you're doing this with a song that you're writing um starting with it on the beat and then thinking where's the logical place to to syncopate yeah. it or to push it so something like he heals the sick and troubled minds bring life where death was found so you kind of got straight 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 push push um or um use pushes but make them quite um, regular. So he heals the sick and troubled minds, brings life where death was found. That kind of thing where you've got the same syncopation, the same pushes each time, and then a congregation can will easily pick that up and mm. will repeat it. Um, changing the... the, the, the rel mm. <laughs> changing the rhythm of the melody every time changing it in each line or even changing it across the verses is going to make a congregation feel kind of insecure uh, but there are lots as you can sort of hopefully I'm sort of showing there's lots and lots of options so it's worth just playing around with them and seeing what works mm. it will be interesting actually with with one like that when it comes to uh month three and we're going to talk about this in the bit the, the road test which is where you yeah. try it with a group of people and you exactly. listen to what rhythm they sing back and it's not always the one you hoped it would be and, and sometimes no. that really and and yet early on you think no i could never straighten out the rhythm it will lose all its character but actually a load of people joining in will do it anyway we'll look yeah. at that later 
Cool. Um, well, let me play you what I've um, done this month, Sam. So I had a Great. song I've been working on. Our God was a refugee. It was came out of trying to uh, explore how in Jesus' life he experienced so much of what we are seeing in the world around us at the moment. And, you know, maybe and. I'd got a verse and a sort of bit of a chorus and we were talking about just trying how we might expand it and so on. And what I did actually was um, I tried to spend just a bit of time thinking about ways, thinking about as many different bits of Jesus' life and experience, how they related to um, to the experience of persecution that people have or the experience of oppression or, or other things. So, so there's one bit, for example, where I, I talk about him carrying the cross, um, but actually I talk about it, as, I don't know if it's worth, I'd be interested to hear your feedback, I talk about it as carrying a mark of shame, where actually that is something people have even now, I, you know, whether it's thinking about the kind of the stars sewn onto Jews' clothing, mm-hmm. um, or the, uh, the the mark on people's doors to show they're a Christian in in places where um, where IS are. Um, yeah, I mean, power and so on. Some some of those those ideas of actually it was more than just a kind of a, a physical. It marked him out as a as a baden or as one to be yeah. despised or, or so on. Um, so I've tried to do that. I shared it a bit um, on our um, song cycle forum. Got really help, helpful feedback from Alan actually, who he sort of particularly in terms of just saying you you made quite a big jump to the to Jesus returning. And I've actually gone back and rewritten and actually at the moment I've taken that away and I've just tried to stick with the journey right through to the cross and then just kind of ending with the resurrection. So mm. I did that um, and I also just tried writing it on the piano some more because it had been a guitar-led thing and, and mm. I, which I felt for me gave it slightly more of a, a, a kind of a, a church song sound yeah. rather than a singer-songwriter thing. So um, because I haven't got the but not plugged in properly. I just recorded myself um, playing it on the piano. Um, So if we just have a listen to that now, and then um, Sam, you can give us some feedback. Yeah. Shunned by those with pious fury 
was a wanted man who faced his sham of trial and jury. Our God was condemned to die. The popular cry for his destruction and carried a mark of shame to bear the pain of his rejection. But our God is a fortress strong And a home for the orphaned one And I hope for the day to come God knew a lonely death, his final breath, an act of mercy. For heavy upon that cross, our every curse of hate and cruelty. They left him inside a grave, but he was raised alive. God is a fortress strong and a home for the orphaned one and a hope for the day to come. Yeah, well done. I think that's I think it's great. It's interesting because we were both on part of a forum where someone was saying recently that there's a is there a songbook being put together specifically? Yeah, around, around the theme of refugees. refugees yeah. And, so I, I just feel this is really timely, um, and you re yeah, you really ought to you know just push it and get it finished because I think it is really timely and lots of people will want to sing this kind of song. Um, I really like the piano version as well. It's, I mean, it's quite a deli, isn't it? A deli, oh, not Adele. As in like a, a not delicatessen. Like where you, no, <laughs> like cold meat. Adele-ish. I suppose it um, is. Yeah, yeah. When it, yeah. It kind of has that that feel, but really, really, really nice and um, very, very singable. Um, I guess I think you're probably still a little bit at the same. I, I know the version I've got. You've you've got some things in brackets and some things yeah, in italics. Yeah. Just you're still kind of I, I wonder about words like uh verse two with pious fury yeah it's a it's a really it's a really lovely phrase in some ways but in other ways i wonder whether pious is a word that everyone understands um yeah things like that um you've highlighted that you've used the word you've used man twice yeah um and i think you know, Jesus was male, so 
that has got to be okay. But I wonder whether using it twice within three lines would make some people who are not male kind of start to switch off a little bit. Um, and maybe you just didn't like the repetition. Um, yeah. But it's it's tricky to know what to... I haven't got a direct thing to... Um, to to replace those with. Um, yeah, I think you're doing really well. I, I guess the other thing is that the first verse is so pointed towards things like refugee, hunted child, not welcome home, nowhere to lay his head. Yeah. Um, the second and third verses get on to the trial... Uh, and the death, they're a little bit less focused on relating it to something today. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't know whether there's any way to, to, to bring that in more, but it, it becomes particularly about Jesus in those second... And maybe that's that's exactly right, but it might, it might be worth thinking about whether there's anything else that could s sort of say that, you know, make it clear that Jesus... What is the what is the implication? I guess spell out the implication a little bit more, particularly of verse two. Um, you know, could you have something? Like, our God knows what it's like to, or our God understands. Da, da, da. Do you know what I mean? Does that help? I think so. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel like the I, I sort of feel like verse three is in some way supposed to be the the answer the answer. The kind of um, mm. the way of saying his experience of suffering all these things was actually part of the means by which those things are are dealt with, and that's why heavy upon the cross every curse of human cruelty is that all those act, all those things that we're doing and that we participate in were of cruelty are actually are, are laid on him there, um, and that I I do I totally see what you mean. There's a, there's a there's a simplicity to verse one, which becomes quite dense in verse two. Um, and the I would, go on. Yeah. And I almost think like verse two, um, if you just saw it on its own, you wouldn't necessarily know that you had all that stuff in the back of your mind about yeah. refugees. And um, it, it becomes, it becomes, yeah, I don't know. I have the words, but, you almost begin to lose the theme, yeah. Even though it's kind of there, but it's you have to work a little bit harder to see the theme in verse two. I think I'd also locked myself into a a scheme which has our God was blah 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 blah, our God was blah 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 blah, our God was blah 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 blah, and then you're allowed to you're free from it. Yeah. And actually, in verse two, I I stuck very closely to it. In verse three, I just thought I'm not getting. <laughs> I need to break out of this. I don't have to start yeah. every line with our God. And I maybe yeah. in verse two, if I could, if I felt less like I had to keep that that specific part of the structure, I'd find I was yeah. able to write a bit more freely. Yeah, and I mean the the rhyme scheme alone is is a challenge. I think it's yeah. it's great, but. The fact that you've got these, you know, line one rhymes with halfway through line two every time um, is, you know, you're certainly not making it easy for yourself. So I think to no. at least break out of the R God kind of bit in the in the um, in the odd lines is, is yeah. going to give you a little bit more freedom.
Cool. All right. Thanks, then, Sam. So um, hopefully by this time, uh, when we meet next time, I'll have pushed this right through and we'll have a, a finished song to present. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, Sam, how about you? What have you? Where have you got to in your writing? Yeah. So, OK, uh, so I did a few things uh, with my with my song roughly based on John 15 about um, bearing good fruit. Uh, I listened to the things that you said in the last podcast um, and tried to weave some of those in. I just did a little bit of kind of chasing down the lyrics. And then I also got a comment uh, on the forum from somebody who made a really helpful idea about, I've got this thing, um, so it says, it used to say, faithful God, you grow us into, into fruitful people. And the, the forum comment was, why don't you just follow that line? So faithful God, you grow us into faithful people. Mm. Um so I tried that out and I experimented with it and I basically found that for me it worked well in verse 1 and if I wanted to move it into verse 2 and verse 3 it was going to really hamstring me because a little bit like your experience with your song if you take one of those kind of writing devices sometimes they're really helpful but sometimes they just kind of tie you up Mm. Um, so I'm suggesting my idea is that I do that faithful God you grow us into faithful people for verse 1 servant king you grow us into servant people but then in verse 2 and 3 I just I kind of abandon that a little bit that um, so I'd be interested to see what you think about that um, and I also tried to make it a little bit more of a journey to kind of sending out so I'm starting to think yeah my real aim for this song is that it's a sending out song um, and so I've put that into the last line of the chorus and I've tried to put that more into the last verse as well. Do you want to hear a bit? I would like to, yeah. Faithful God You grow us into faithful people No, oh. you said go down. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to remember to do that. You grow us into faithful people Everywhere that you lead us In our homes and on our streets Servant King You grow us into serving people Every day as you call us May we work to spread your peace Verse 2 is pretty much the same, so I'm going to skip to verse 3. Sending God, you call us to be fruitful people. Everywhere that you lead us, as we journey from this place. Worthy God, you send us out as praising people. Every day as you call us To be bringers of your grace 
something like that. Yeah, so I can see the places that you've um, adapted the melody. It's interesting that I suggested going down on people, and of course now I've got it going up into my head, and so I kind of yeah, they sort of both work, don't they? I think probably you can pick your favourite there. Um, okay. In that in the uh, in the middle line of where the Julius that's that's quite because you had a nice hooky thing there before but it was sort of made it a bit jumpy and complicated didn't it perhaps for the yeah for so just... I had every um, everywhere that you lead us and I realised that was a bit long and then I tried a everywhere that you lead us and I thought mm, actually it's never going up so yeah. then I thought well, what if I work up everywhere that you lead us it's kind of a mix of the two. Yeah, but that's I nice. I think that might work. Um, and then it is nice the way you've got faithful God, faithful people, servant king, serving people, holy one, distinctive people, great I am. That, to the it sort of makes sense. Yeah, you, you make a couple of leaps, but you get to the Exodus and the um, <laughs> see how. Why it, not? <laughs> you see how that joins up. Um, and it's yeah, the chorus. Um, just feels quite nice and tight and there's a lot about it is just very singable um and so on so my my kind of thoughts in terms of feedback at this stage are interestingly maybe it's similar to with mine there's there's a sense in which you're you're very much into a structure which you're quite locked in by because you have this everywhere that you lead us everywhere every day as you call us yeah and the the lines that you actually get to work with are just the two on either side of that. Yeah. And it's not always 100% clear how the line one relates to line three. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, of course, it, it does in various ways. So Servant King, you go into serving people, maybe work to spread your peace. Of course, it's a perfectly good prayer, but it doesn't necessarily flow just naturally from the servant, you know, the, the image you have of Servant King or serving people. Yeah. Um, the faithful... It's interesting. So you had this in our homes and on our streets thing, probably as one of your first lines in it, and yeah. and I totally agree with that. As a in terms of, it's it's a good thing to be singing. But again, sort of whether that's the thing that really expands the grow us into faithful people thing. I, I wonder about playing with that and trying to find something. Because for me, what 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 I sort of what I. What I sense a slight lack of, and I think it's improved because you, you've made it much more in... You've taken it from being father... It was more of a prayer before, wasn't it? And now you've made it more yeah. of a, a declaration. I think that's good. I think that's yeah. strong because it's it's recognising what God is doing. Um, I think it, just in my heart, as I sing it, I, I sense... I don't know how to solve this, but I sense a lack of just saying, Father God, and something about him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah. Rather than just about his... And how sort of lovely it would be if somehow you could set it up so it's, you know, faithful God, um, maker of your blah, blah. So it's kind of, it's it's him, him, him. And then it's look at the things you do in us um, or with us. And I recognise you can't do that with every song. And I don't have a good reason for saying that, except for just as I sort of sing it, what kind of wanting to... I'm feeling like I want to say something there, set that up. And I don't know whether that's doable or not, but that's just the, no, the kind, the kind no, I think of that's thought fair. I have. I think it's interesting that with, with both, you know, your song and my song, they've got to the stage now where we're not picking up on um, very specific things or even, you know, big things, but it's it's more just, mm, if there could be just a little sense of this or a little sense of that. And I think that's probably where you come to after you've worked on a song for a while is, 
you know, I, I can't give you a direct line that you could you could put in, but it's quite helpful to hear mm, just a sense of yeah this now. I mean, yeah, I, I can see what you mean, and I think the danger with a song like this, which is supposed to be a kind of commitment and a sending out song, is that it it just becomes like a a load on your back, like yeah, oh, I've got to do all this stuff, yeah. And actually, the more you can talk about God and what He does, um. It, it becomes more. No, actually, this is going to be what God is doing through us. So yeah, I can I can work on that. Yeah, um, I think that's yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing. I think so. For me, it's 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 got its structure, it's got its feel, and its rhythm. It's all singable melodically. It's good, and I think just some of that pairing up of those those what are essentially couplets because they kind of wrap around the repeated motifs. Yeah, um, yeah. You could potentially just I don't know if this is what you've done, but potentially still just work on a bunch of paired lines just on a piece of paper just keep scribbling out different ideas yeah, and things and yeah. see um see whether one two that, that hold together and then i think some of that will be the test as well in just in, in trying it out um you know as i do it in a life situation do I, do I feel like i've just i've managed to say this feels like the strongest thing to say at this point or or not yeah yeah um cool nice work nice nice revising uh looking forward to seeing Thanks. where it gets to Song cycle, song cycle, everybody do the song cycle. Write that song. So the final month of the three-month song cycle is really all about finishing a song. We started off with uh, inspiration, initial ideas. We've had a month of working and developing and writing and so on. It's now how do I bring a song like this actually to a point where it's finished and then what do I do with it? And so we've given three categories um, that we think you could do in this month to, to reach it, that point. Um, and they are to road test it, to refine it and to share it. Um, so let me talk first about the road testing. Um, it's really good to try out a song. I mentioned before in the podcast that very often when you try a song, the response of the congregation, the small group, whoever it is that you do it with, tells you an awful lot about uh, how well written it is, how appropriate it is for mm. that situation. It's good if you can to try and use it in the situation you imagine it being used. So whilst you might have, uh, if you've written it for your larger congregation, finding opportunity to, to sing it with them as a road test. And I know it's not always easy because you're trying to plan a, if you're involved in leading worship, you're trying to plan a service of worship and it doesn't necessarily include always trying out a new song to see if it works um but it's such a valuable thing and also for some of you you're not necessarily the person who is who is choosing the song so i can understand that so then yeah. you might look for another opportunity and just say look can i gather some people and can i lead it as if i were leading it in in a real context um and i think you then learn a lot of things from that and i'm thinking about how i've written songs over the years and when i've road tested them and and quite often, even just in the rehearsal, you know, I get together a band and we start to play it and I think, ah, oh, yeah, that just isn't holding together, is it? Sometimes in that moment, you find a different thing, whether it's a different chord, a different rhythm, um, a different idea, which which helps. So you can hang on to that. But then you come to it if you actually um, sing it with, say you sing it with your congregation. And some of the things I look out for is, is there a moment in it where people really join in strongly Suddenly I hear mm. the voices or I see the look of engagement in people's faces. And likewise, is there a moment where they look a bit bewildered? Now that quite often might be the first verse anyway. And that's pretty normal for a new mm. song. But do they go quiet? Do I lose them? Is it just obvious that they don't know what the tune is here? Um, there's a lot to do with what feels right, I think, in this kind of thing. Did it? Yeah. Um, did I just feel like I'd got the right... Had it, 
as I said it, did it seem like the right voice in the right words, the right sounds in those people's voice? Um, a really mm. important test. Do they sing your tune? Do they sing your rhythm? Um, yeah. And <clears throat> you really need to pay attention to that because you can, to some extent, um, push a little bit. Come on, guys. No, that's not how it goes. But ultimately, the congregation has a sort of, they revert to the natural, if you like. And when you mm -hmm. sing your syncopated or your jumpy or whatever it is tune, they'll have a go at the one they think it should be. And they'll somehow, and very often collectively, just pick the same thing. And really listen to that, because if that's, becomes, if that's the natural rhythm they use or so on, it tells you that were you to adopt that, your song would fly at that moment because it would, yeah. because it worked. It doesn't mean, I don't think you always have to, do you think you always have to do what the congregation does, Sam? No, but it, you ought to really think about it. Um, and, and the reality is if one congregation does it naturally in one way, probably many others will as well. So you might be consigning your, your song to essentially not being used or, I mean, even to being changed. I think that's quite interesting. You know, some songs, I guess, you know, we talked about in the past, um, give thanks to the Lord our God and King and how, you know, the second verse, people sing that all sorts of different yeah. ways because of that slightly odd entry there. And um, so, you know, why not actually find something that, that is natural and, yeah, singing it to other people and getting other people to sing it with you is, is really, really helpful. Yeah, I think so. The other thing is that the way I've talked about your lyrics lighting up. There are moments as you sing this new song and, and you hear your words being sung that it's like they light up and you think, yes, that's, that's, that's what I needed to say. That's great. And other times, yeah. Yeah, they just don't actually. This doesn't, and you probably sort of half knew that before you tried it, but you, you had to go anyway to see. Sometimes you realise, you know what, this just goes on forever. Or, we, oh, I've really reached a point where I want, you know, we've sung it together and it feels like we now need to express this. And that can give mm. you a clue about another verse or a tag. Or, yeah. actually, there was no need to go that far. We, it was complete. We, we, we'd got as far as we needed to. Or the um, often the, the, the extra bit I stuck in, we just didn't need. The moments yeah. as well of as I sang it, I, you know, and I find this when I lead sometimes that I've got a certain vocal range in it, and I either find that the congregation audibly struggle with a higher or low, or actually I yeah. do when I'm when I'm trying to lead it. I notice my voice disappears and they can't hear the tune because I've gone too low, and that's because I've written it with such a wide range. And that, again, it's in that yeah. live test that I sometimes discover that. Uh, you road test your song in some way, and then it's about refining it. And, and this is kind of, it's different to last month, because last month you were still developing its shape, its structure, its rhyme scheme, its themes, and so on. Now you've got the thing, and you're mm. going to try and do a bit like Sam and I have talked about, which is just kind of bashing the edges a bit and, and cleaning up the lines and, and finding the best way to say things. And a lot of that will be a response to the road test. Some of it mm. will be your own um, just kind of, self your, your own critical uh, honest critical eye where you say you know which bits am i happy with which am i not and what was i gonna it's sometimes tempting to let things through just to get stuff finished yeah. and sometimes you've got to you know if you've got a pressing deadline then maybe that's what you've got to do but if you haven't then then there's often bits where you can say okay I'll just give it a little bit more time i'll keep on um looking for the, the those best ways to complete things uh, the other thing you could yeah. do at this stage is once you think you've pretty much got your complete song is to Pass the words by uh, a theologian or by the pastor of your church or possibly to run it by, you know, if you have a worship pastor in your church, just say, would you have a look at this for me and, and have a play and a sing of it with me? 
um, yeah. and they might be able to help you. And that, and that can be part of that refining process, which really, I think it's good that it happened sort of towards the end because you're kind of saying, I I'm not asking you to write the song for me, but as I'm looking for you to point out bits I might have missed. And often some theological ideas. We have over the years worked with various theologians where we passed songs by them and um, got some helpful comments back from them. Um, and then the final mm. thing I've written under refine is is once you've done these things, you've had your road test, you've passed the lyrics, maybe passed someone with a bit more theological or biblical knowledge than you, uh, is you finally sign it off and breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. Except, but you've then got to share it, haven't you? You have. So yeah. that's, that's number three. And uh, yeah, just a few little tips really for when you're sharing it. Um Firstly, you're going to need to somehow present it on paper. So that can obviously be as simple as a chord sheet. It might be a lead sheet, by which I mean you just have the melody line and the chords written above the melody line and, and the, the lyrics underneath. Or it might be a whole piano score. I mean, typically, um, I don't think a, a sort of piano score or piano reduction is, is really necessary, although... There may be some churches where actually the, the, the pianist will only play the piano score. Um, so expecting them to busk some chords is, is not possible. In that, in that situation, I mean, if you can't do it yourself, you're going to have to turn to somebody else really and, and ask them to help mm. you with it. Um, my typical way is to do a lead sheet and I use um, Sibelius to do that. But Joel, have you got some recommendations for, for programs? Yeah, I... Um put something on Facebook and got some feedback from some of you guys, which is really helpful actually just hearing about what people use. I personally use Sibelius to do scores and for chord charts and things, I usually just use Word and I kind of lay them out myself. Um, I've got quite a lot of um, quite a lot of people talking about OnSong for doing yeah. chord charts. So that's a helpful, that's a bit of equipment. I think generally use it on iPads and tablets. Yeah. Um, there's a way of inputting it so that the, the, the chords sort of get glued to particular words and then yeah. you can change the size, you can change the key and things like that. It's really handy if you're working chords. Um, and a lot of people use it in their churches. We're about to introduce it in my church, actually, so I can tell you more about it uh, next time, hopefully. Um, people have been talking about what... Um, well, actually, Kieran, having said on song, there's a thing called Gigbook as well for iPad, which she uses, which she says is cheaper, um, but it doesn't have quite so many features as on song, so that might be worth looking at. Okay. Um, for um, scores, somebody suggested um, Four Score or Muse Score. Apparently, is really good, and that's that's fabulous and open source, which I think generally means free. So that might be worth checking out. Muse Score. Um, things like most people have said Sibelius when it comes to um, actually doing the score, and I think that is sort of that's the daddy of um, scoring software. There's also Finale out there, which is on a similar sort of scale in terms of its cost. And I know that Steinberg have recently brought out a score writing software as well. I think to try and compete in that market. Yeah, but you can usually get um, reduced. Ver so these, you know, you're talking hundreds of pounds for these, but you can often just kind of get a light version, can't you, Sam, of of these more yeah. expensive things. Sibelius, you can do a 30-day free trial and you can also buy a thing called Sibelius First, which is like a cheaper cut-down version. It's basically, if you want to do this seriously, produce professional scores, do some orchestral scoring, then it's it's probably worth it. But otherwise, for just someone wanting to share a song, Sibelius is probably a bit much. Yeah. Um, so it might be worth looking at some of those cheaper ones you've mentioned. Yeah, I also used Finale Notepad, I think, a, a, a few years ago before I had Sibelius and that was... It doesn't do everything, yeah. but it often does what you need. Um, certainly for doing a yeah. lead sheet or something like that. 
And then I would just say in terms of tips for this is really make sure that, I mean, even if you're just doing a chord chart, just make sure that it's accurate, you know, make sure that the words are all correct, um, put line breaks in the in the logical places so people can see where the lines end. And my big bugbear Go is on. putting chords over the right syllable of the word. Oh. It's really, really frustrating when you're trying to learn a new song and the chords are in the wrong place. Um, it just, it will speed your whole rehearsal up, your whole teaching of that song to a band. If you can, you know, get make sure the chords are in the right place. It really helps people to know when they're supposed to put the changes. And I think you can also do things like, um, I know Music Academy did some scores that were kind of advanced scores and they had actually had bar lines in. Okay, yeah. Um, and I guess that depends a little bit how sort of, you know, music readers or you've got in your group. But even if you're doing a chord chart, if you put the bar lines in or some way of, of indicating how many beats per chord, it could actually really speed up a rehearsal for people to kind of get an idea of, of how to play that. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the chord charts that you get on the Stuart Townend website... But they yeah. tend to put the lyrics down one side, and then the chord chart is a, is very much a sort of it, it is laid out with bars and so on next to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I never found that the most um, easily accessible form. No. Uh, but I do sort of see the point of it because it shows visually how the chords and things fit in. But that quite often with chord charts, they're not. They're not so much to tell you this is... I mean, the first time they're there to tell you this is where the chord change... There's a chord change coming. Mm. But they tend to be, I know there's a chord change coming. What is it? Yeah. It's what it becomes. Yeah. Because you sort of... You, as you follow the song through, you know on which words and things things change. And there's that, there's that thing, isn't there, that I know um, you do with the resound, where if you've got a lead sheet, um, you stack up the lyrics. So verse, you know, one is directly above yeah. verse two and that sort of thing rather than having you know you can have a situation where you're repeating you know here's verse two and i'm putting that after the chorus and then your lead sheets get really long my, my personal view is pretty much every worship song and and hymn should fit on one a4 page um and the ones that go over two three four pages you know i just don't have <laughs> i don't have space on my music stand for that and if you it means you you know you're flicking around a um, yeah, it tells you something about your your song as well. If you can't stack it, yeah, if you, know, if you can't write one melody and then have the verses, then you haven't been consistent with your rhythms and your melodies yeah. and yeah. and so on. And that's a really good test. If you feel like I need to, and, and there's a certain amount as well. This might be different. Depends on your church and your situation. Like you might write a, a if you're into writing a score where you're getting the string players to play certain things. Then sure, you might vary it throughout the different verses, and that might be slightly different. But in terms of something you present as your standard um, thing, you've got to give a certain amount of license to those who are playing it to say, yeah. let them create the dynamics as they yeah. play rather yeah. than feel like you need to dictate every variation from verse to verse. The other thing I would throw in is the um, is punctuation. Oh, punctuation gosh. and layout. <laughs> I think this is important, is actually setting out your lyrics. So we, we do lyric sheets on our website. And in some ways you could say, well, they're a bit unnecessary. People just type it out. But what they do is they lay out the lyrics mm. in the verse for, in the sort of, in the poetic form in which they're supposed to appear visually. And that, that is quite important. Um, and it, it's one of those things, we talk about bugbears. One of mine is people just putting one line of a song up on projection software. So there's no sort of sense of context oh, to it. Gosh. And it yeah, breaks yeah. up the line in the wrong place and all sorts of things. Um, 
almost regardless of how you're going to use you know maybe you you omit lots of punctuation when you put things on on the screen and so on still punctuation is important in english and it shows it helps us to navigate to understand it helps things to make sense and actually just thinking about where your commas and your semicolons and your full stops go how lines will be broken up and and think again about your context that if you don't break if you put lines as really long things and you don't give any breaks in them Whoever inputs it into your projection software or your HP or whatever they do, it's just going to guess and it won't necessarily fit uh, the way the song works. So I think that's quite a key thing is thinking through punctuation and the way you lay out the text when you're just looking at a verse or a chorus on its own. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so you've got the, the, the lead sheet or the chord sheet. How do you then, Joel, teach that to a congregation? That's Yeah, it's a good question. Do you know what? Uh, it, take, it took me years. Uh, do you remember Aaron Keyes was talking about this? He was a sort of a, an internationally profiled songwriter and worship leader and he still didn't dare introduce his own songs. <laughs> so actually going from I've written this to actually I'm going to try and get my church to sing it. Um, yeah. The first thing I would say is you, the chances are your church is going to love it because you've written it. You You just... You can get away with so much more in your <laughs> church than I can from a distance because I'll write my song and you might introduce it. And people go, oh, it's rubbish. I don't like that. It's not very good. They will, they will love it because it's you. It's your voice and you've got a unique voice. So, so in that respect, you don't need to be as nervous, I think, as, as certainly I have been in the past. What I used to do is, is write a new song and stick it up and then leave my name off. I think I've said this before. <laughs> I'd leave my name off the bottom. Um, and and I think great they won't know it's by me and then sort of a couple of years into doing that somebody said to me oh, I love your new song Joel oh, how do you know it's mine well you always leave your name off the bottom <laughs> okay yeah so that's it's funny so I'm not fooling anybody but you know I think that's all right sometimes but I, I honestly think that if they know it's by you they'll give it like we had a, a, a couple of guys at our church to a, a song they'd written a couple of weeks ago and I treated it differently as I sang it. I wanted it to work I wanted yeah. to engage with it because I knew that they'd written it um, I think it's really helpful with any new song, but certainly one if you've got a kind of sense of nervousness. If you can, if you're able to sandwich it with something a bit more well known, so that um, the congregation are in good voice by the time they come to sing it, and and so that it leads into something else. And if you're in the habit of singing, say two or three songs together, sticking yours in the middle can be really um, helpful thing. But I would also counsel: don't sandwich it with um, "Shout to the Lord and How Great Is Our God," <laughs> because then you will be demoralised by just how yeah. much congregation gets hold of those ones by comparison. But it's always good just have something familiar to hold on to that also allows then some space to bring in something that's a bit new. And I have to say, I'm a, mm. um, I don't think my vicar listens to this podcast. and uh, So I can say this probably. But he's not particularly keen on the thing of teaching a, a song line by line and certainly not in the middle of a service. I, I am more keen on that because I, I have seen so often how it how much people then take ownership of it yeah. once you've said sing this yeah that's how it goes sing this yeah that's how it goes great we've learned this haven't we let's do it yeah um that people often then grab it from the off and really sing it rather than take the whole whole singing of it to get some idea of it but i can see how it can feel like it's interrupting the flow or, it, or it's I, like being a uh, you know choir master or something yeah i have been in churches where they were so into this that it felt like a choir rehearsal um, so you can overdo it, but generally I will try and teach something new line by line. I mean, churches have opportunities to do this. For example, some churches before the service is a good time. My church that's not a good time because people are all chatting and it's hard to get their attention. Um, yeah. Also, some churches will have a kind of performance song moment or performance might be the wrong word, but a, 
we're going to sing you this song now moment. And you could yeah. sing a new song or your song to them the first week you use it. That would be an opportunity. Um, the other thing is to maybe just do it earlier on in the service. I, I get that if you're in a kind of holy moment of response or, you know, it, you're, you're quite far into the service, you may not want to do it. But, but doing it early on, um, doing it fairly... Um, swiftly i think you don't want to you don't want to take forever over it but and and particularly you know find the bits that are more tricky you know sing that and the other thing i often say is do it with just a guitar or a piano you know often the band want to pile in and the drummer starts playing and the singer starts singing harmonies that's not how to do it do it with just a guitar or just a piano um sing one or two lines get people to sing them back and you know as you say it can it can lead to a lot of kind of confidence in the song yeah brilliant so there we go there's some ideas for um, month three of the song cycle um we're looking forward to uh, hearing how your finished songs turn out so um if you haven't been already involved in the forum it's songcycle.resoundworship.org where you can share the songs that you've been working on uh, we will hopefully have ours all polished and ready to go and look forward to sharing them with you then So all that remains is for me to introduce our featured song, which this month is uh, Hallelujah, Christ Has Risen by Chris Pierce. Chris wrote this a couple of years ago. Um, it's just the kind of song that could be useful for Easter because it's in three parts. Uh, you sing them all, then you let people run riot. And we've got a few songs like that with Resound. Really easy to use, but I think really um, powerful as well in the way that it all um, comes together and the kind of things that it says. Yeah, and this is available as part of the Easter week uh, bundle that is on the Resound Worship. So there's about, what, 13 songs there? I think it's 13 songs now, yeah. Yeah, all around the themes of Easter and Holy Week. Um, and there's some choir arrangements uh, by people like Noltradinic on there. So uh, if people are interested in kind of getting a whole bunch of new songs for the Easter season, then I recommend that. Cool. So uh, do get in touch before the next podcast. You can either email us on uh, podcast at resoundworship.org, Facebook slash resoundworship.org, or Twitter at resoundworship. Uh, still just a tiny handful now of places left on the Worship Songwriting Retreat in June. So if you're keen to book for that, there's still space, but you might want to do it quickly. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is King. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Hallelujah, Christ is King. Risen now, exalted now, we'll sing. Christ is King. Exalted now we'll sing Christ is King New life abounds as morning sounds Death has lost its sting oh.